Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historically Black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as a part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs. Welcome to the Black History Month edition of the 2021-2022 Roden Fellows Podcast. My name is Kiana Robinson-Sherry, a Roden Fellow and Journalism major at Hampton University. And today I am joined by my Roden Fellow and producer of today's episode, Keon Cage, also from Hampton University. What's up, what's up? I'm also joined by Roden Fellow Alexis Davis from North Carolina A&T. Hey, hey, everyone. And then lastly, I'm joined by Sarah Smith-Jones from Howard University. Hey, everybody. This is our first podcast episode for the month of February, also known as Black History Month. And to celebrate Black History Month, I want to highlight a significant Black figure that is a huge influence in Black history today. So today I'm going to be talking about DJ Coolherc. Earlier on in the fellowship, I was able to visit the Universal Hip Hop Museum back in my home, the Bronx. And one of the people who was able to start the hip hop movement was DJ Coolherc. And hip, as we all know, hip hop is a huge part of black culture. It's a part of the way we dress, the way um, um, musicians rap, the way we talk. So I just wanted to give a big shout out to him and everything that he's done for the black community. So I wanted to ask you guys, who are some of the people that you admire and would like to highlight this one? So the, for the black history figure that I admire is John H. Johnson, who is the founder of Ebony Magazine and Jet Magazine. Ebony Magazine is still around. You see a couple of publications every once in a while, but these are two major black uh, publications that still exist to this day. And I really admire him because, you know, to start a, a publication is really challenging, especially during the time he was doing this in the starting in the late 1940s. So just to, to be able to start a publication during this time is just, I really admire him. And not only he created publication, he's also a part of the same fraternity that I am, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So I just really admire him for like everything he's done for the media industry and for our fraternity. For me, I would definitely say Zora Neale Hurston. Um, I say that because I think that she did such an amazing job of highlighting Black people and racial struggles in her work. And I feel like she made a lot of the Black experience so memorable. Um, I read her book, Barracoon, when I was a freshman in college. And I just remember being so emotional while reading that book, along with my other classmates. And I would definitely say it was one of the best assigned readings that I've ever had throughout my time in college. I would even go to bring up someone that's a little bit more current. Lisa Salter, she's an American journalist and former college basketball player. You can also see her reporting on ESPN and also ABC. Um, she really started getting recognition around the early 2000s and just seeing her versatility as a reporter, being able to be fluent in basketball, football, and really just have conversations with players, letting people at home really see another side of them versus just who won and lost the game. So I really think it's important to recognize her, even though she is a little bit more current. Um, I definitely do think she's existing in a space that we weren't really allowed to previously. So why do you guys feel that it's important to celebrate Black, Black History Month? And what were some of the ways that you celebrated it growing up? Well, for me, uh, my school really didn't teach it, but my mom was huge on it. 
she would like on on the way to church, she'll make sure like all right, pick a person and read about them today. Then she'll uh, at the church she'll make me write about it. And you know, I used to you know, used to not like it at all, really, because I used to try to just uh, be uh, go to sleep in the car on the way to church. But and she'll just make me read. But you know, and looking back on it, that's a reason why I have like such a strong knowledge of Black history. And it shows in my writing a lot. I like writing about people's uh, stories and stuff like that. And I think going to HBCU, uh, it really emphasized me, like me wanting to be a part of Black history even more. So, you know, I'm taking strides to make a significant impact upon my culture and my community. So uh, that's the way I celebrated Black history. And that's what it means to me, really just being a part of history that it's important to celebrate Black History Month because Black people have just done so many amazing things and have made so many contributions, not only to the United States of America, but to the world. And I just think that it's important and crucial that we highlight that and that we never let our history die and that we never let the struggles and the hard work that our ancestors went through and faced in order for us to be where we are today, I think it's important that we never let that die. And so Black History Month has always been something that has been very important and very celebrated in my family. Um, sometimes we went to like maybe little cookout events on the weekends or like parades and things of that nature. We just kind of celebrated in our own way at home, but it's always been something that has been very relevant in my family always has been celebrated, always has been something of importance to us and will continue to be? Um, I would say I was one of the lucky ones that got taught Black history a lot growing up. Um, I did go to pre predominantly Black schools, um, but ironically, we had white teachers. Um, so it was definitely different, you know, learning Black history from white instructors, but at the same time, I can appreciate them for making sure that we were educated about it. Of course, you know, our families did teach us about it, but just, you know, it was different learning black history from, you know, white educators. And I would even say too, um, when I was in high school, I was enrolled in an African-American studies class and it was actually taught by another white woman. Um, and I really liked how she made sure she didn't offend us. She never, you know, tried to, she never tried to act black. She just felt like it was very necessary for us to know our roots. Um, so I would say, you know, I've always been surrounded by black history. And even um, in my home, my mom really likes to travel. So she's been to Africa a couple of times. So even just in my childhood home, there's a lot of African artifacts all around. Um, she makes sure that I know that they're not just decorations, um, what they mean and things like that. And then also just circling back to being a HBCU student every day, you know, that I'm going to class is Black history because really being able to get an education at a higher level past high school, you know, at one point in time, we weren't really welcomed into these PWIs, which is why we have these HBCUs. So definitely just a greater appreciation for all those people that really, you know, put efforts and really stuck with the idea of founding all these different schools, because now we're at over 100. Question, uh, Alexis, like, how do you feel about like uh, a white teacher and educator, uh, educator, like teaching black history? Do you feel like they should, should it be somebody uh, African-American to describe history, uh, black history? 
I never really had a problem with it because it's like, as long as I feel like they are doing their due diligence to know what they're talking about and they are, you know, not really adding in their opinion too much, but just, you know, really teaching us the facts. I never really had a problem with it. I never felt offended. And then also um, before that white teacher decided to teach African-American studies at my high school. So it was an elective. You know how in college you have electives. So at my high school, since it was a college, uh, since it was a preparatory school for college, um, they kind of got us into the idea of electives early on. So the African-American studies class was actually an elective. And she was the one that actually came up with the curriculum and actually um, pitched it to the administration. So if it really wasn't for her, we wouldn't have had that African-American study class at my high school. So I really, you know, I don't, I'm not against it at all. As long as, you know, they do their due diligence to know what they're talking about and allow it to be a safe space for us to, you know, talk about it and really learn. I don't really have a problem. Well, I know me personally, when I was growing up, um, Black history wasn't really taught to me too much in school. I think a big part of the reason why I know of so much is because of church. Um, I went to a Black church and they really made an effort to teach us about um, different Black figures and what they did in history. So that's why a part of why I know so much um, in school. I didn't really celebrate Black History Month. Um, that was kind of something I had to do outside of school because I went to school with a lot of Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. So, you know, Black History Month wasn't really too much of a priority at school for me. And then also, I only, I've only had two Black teachers and only one of them really emphasized the importance of the month and what it means to just be Black in America. So that was kind of my experience growing up with it. Um, so since being at an HBCU, how have you guys celebrated Black History Month differently from when you were, you were in like elementary school, high school, middle school? Well, I think, I don't know. I, I don't think that I would say that it's any different. You know, being at an HBCU is kind of like Black History Month is every month. Like we always have the opportunity to celebrate Black excellence and the Black the contributions that the Black community has made and continues to make. So I wouldn't say that I am doing anything different than what I was doing when I grew up. Um, I definitely would say that I am learning a lot more than I probably would have learned if I went to a PWI or that I learned in high school, not really going to a high school where there was a lot of Black people on campus or a lot of Black teachers, but I would say that it has always been very relevant and important in my life, so I wouldn't say it's much different. Uh, I believe it happened. I know there are, like, some of the organizations, like, they put together, like, uh, I believe Friday, they're having, like, a Black-owned business, student Black-owned businesses, so if you have a business on, on campus or you design clothes and stuff like that, they, uh, today or Friday or Saturday, I can't remember exactly what day, but they're putting together events like that where they can promote Black excellence. So you see a lot of promote, uh, prom uh, like pushing Black excellence out there. And, uh, and I think that is the way to like have to really celebrate so Black History Month. Um, on my university, I think 
when it comes to Black history, the thing I enjoy the most is seeing the urge to learn about Black history come from the students versus when you're growing up, your parents or your teachers, they're like teaching you about it and you really have no choice but to sit there and listen. But I feel like once you get to their HBCU, seeing all these, just like how Keon mentioned um, different organizations on campus, seeing that the desire to learn about Black history is stemming from the students and not stemming from the um, the teachers and the administration, because I mean, the teachers and administration, they might, you know, have little things around campus or whatever, but, you know, it's up to you which classes you take, you know, after you get to a certain point. So it's not like, you know, if you're not signed up for African-American studies class or African history class, et cetera, you're not going to get that information. So to see the students desire to learn it and desire to teach each other organization to organization, peer to peer, I think that's something that's really exciting to me, seeing my peers actually want to learn about their history. And then also, you know, to A&T, what's unique to them about Black History Month is they get to kick it off a little differently on February 1, celebrating the A&T 4 that started the sit-in movement that would eventually turn national. So, you know, A&T does, you know, get to celebrate that but then also yeah that peer-to-peer desire to learn yeah i agree with um everything you guys said especially um with keon about hampton i think um one of the things that i love about being at an hbcu during this month is um just the um learning about different people i feel like when growing up we only we only learn about certain people and certain figures in history that have done things like you know we learn about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and all these other people. But I feel like I've learned so many different other uh, learned about so many different figures that have done different things um, from creating simple things to starting big big movements to little movements. That's one of my favorite things because I just feel like um, some people think that Black history is depressing. And it's just not, you know, there's just so much to it. And I think that even still now, we have so much to learn about um, who we are and where we come from. And yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of being at HBCU. And also, uh, I don't know if y'all seen on Instagram, uh, T-Pain well, was talking to uh, TMZ and telling like, he's saying that we should stop celebrating Black History Month because, and start just celebrating history as a whole, I guess, so we don't outcast ourselves or make us stand out or anything like that. How do y'all feel about that? Um, I strongly disagree with that. <laughs> First of all, Black History Month isn't just about learning. It's about celebrating Black culture. Um, I think a lot of people think everything is just history, 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 history. Um, but there's just so many beautiful aspects to Black History Month, learning about not and more than just learning about your culture it's about celebration of being black first and foremost than more to me so i think that's just a stupid argument and people just really should stop saying that according also to like everyone is trying to make it seem like black history is this ancient thing but you can even see that it's still relevant like with the bomb threats. You still have these people that have these passive aggressive tones when it comes to black people thriving and you know getting an education that they're making these bomb threats to try to interrupt their pursuit for higher education. And so people keep saying, oh, this is you know long overdue, this is you know things of the past, et cetera. But no, it's still very much relevant. And you can see that with these bomb threats as well. Yes, so they had asked him was the, uh, what advice would he give white people celebrating Black History Month? And he said, although we celebrate Black History Month, I think we should just have history. They overshot it 
we don't want our own stuff. You're, uh, we're separating us again. And we want to be a part of history, not just uh, one month. So that's what he said. So what do y'all think about like what he said? I personally don't think that we just, I mean, I know me personally, I don't just take one month out of the year to learn about Black history. I definitely think it should be incorporated more in everyday um, conversations and it should be talked about more in schools. But I just, I know me personally, if I want to know something, I go on the internet and I look it up. If I see something and I don't know about it, I go on the internet and look it up. Google is free and I think everybody should take the time to um, learn something new every single day um, and not just wait till Black History Month to start looking at Black history. Yeah, I don't really think it's something that's separate. I think it's more so because the contributions that Black people have added to American history often get overshadowed. I think that Black History Month is a good way to re-emphasize like, hey, you know, don't forget about us and our accomplishments. And also, you know, back to that peer-to-peer thing, it, you know, it's a chance for us to celebrate each other. Um, I think Black History Month is kind of almost more for us than it is for other people. I feel like when you start doing it for other people, the tone and the seriousness and the relevance kind of gets lost because, you know, you can't really expect other people to appreciate your culture and your race as much as you do. Yeah, I agree. And even just like looking at the the month of the year, Black History Month isn't the only month that Black people are celebrated. We have June now where there's Black um, Music Appreciation Month. So I just think that that's, it's kind of not a good argument and not a good thing to say. So on the first episode of this year, the fellows and I discussed the first bomb threats that happened at eight, eight HBCUs on January 5th. On the first day of Black History Month, the biggest news of the week were the bomb threats that were sent to at least 13 HBCU campuses. And two of our fellows were affected by these bomb threats. Authorities and schools are taking the threats seriously and have shut down the campuses when the bomb threats were um, sent out to ensure the safety of students and faculty. And suspects were taken into custody recently. So Sarah, I know Howard received at least three bomb threats how has the campus environment been since hearing of the bomb threats? Yeah, so in all three instances where there were bomb threats, Howard was included in each of them. And for that first one, people were afraid, but we weren't back on campus yet. So they probably weren't feeling it as much as they would have been if we were there. But for these last two, um, myself and my friends and people that I've talked to, we definitely have been scared, especially because Howard didn't shut down any campus operations. We still had to attend our classes and we still had to go about the day as if it were a normal day when it really wasn't, or as if it were a normal day when it really was not. And so it's just kind of upsetting that in a situation like that, we wouldn't get the opportunity to kind of digest what is going on and kind of try to, you know, let the university know exactly how we feel and feel like they care about our safety and our well-being at a time where something as serious as a bomb threat is happening. Um, We all kind of, well, I don't want to say all, but a lot of people kind of feel like Howard isn't taking our safety seriously and isn't listening to what it is that we're trying to say when we're letting them know that we don't feel comfortable being on campus when they're 
are bomb threats. So we're kind of just, just a little bit scared and a little bit timid to go about our normal day in a non-normal situation. So um, what, what do you think are some suggestions that you would make to administration to make sure that once this happens, if this ever happens again, that, you know, the students feel safe and like they're not scared to walk outside? My advice would be to make decisions based on what the students are saying, because it seems like that just is not what, what's happening. Because if decisions were being made based on what the students were saying or asking for, then we wouldn't have went to classes those two days that we had the bomb threats. We would have been able to stay in the comfort and the safety of our own areas. And their advice to us was, to avoid the area of the administration building, but a lot of people have classes that are in buildings that are about maybe 200 to 700 feet away from that building. So there's really no way to avoid that area unless you just let students have the day off and not have to attend class the way that other universities did. So my advice would just be, listen to the students. This next question is for Alexis. So what has um, A&T done in response to these bomb threats at other schools? Because I know that um, Hampton and A&T weren't on the list. So what has, has your school responded to um, these bomb threats? Um, so there hasn't really been a direct, um, a direct response. Um, it's more so teachers individually kind of just encouraging students that, you know, this will pass and to kind of almost in a way ignore it. Um, the, the university hasn't come out with an official statement addressing the issue. I think it's more so because it hasn't happened to A&T. Um, but I wouldn't say that they're being oblivious, but I would say they need to pay a little bit more attention because A&T is the largest HBCU. So, you know, I don't know if it's if these people are purposely targeting the smaller ones, I'm not really sure, you know, what, you know, their mindset is behind it. Um, but A&T isn't really doing anything to directly um, approach the situation. Like I haven't seen, you know, more police on campus, dogs on campus, um, really an extension of security too much. Um, A&T, I would say though, is already pretty secure. Like on every corner, there's police cars, um, there's security all over anyway. So I think that they are just being confident in the measures that they already have. Yeah, I definitely agree with um, everything you said. I know Hampton, I feel like in situations like these, um, Hampton doesn't really address these types of situations. Because I know like, even if there's an active shooter on campus, I don't think there's a plan for that. And I think that um, HBC, HBCU should really have plans for these types of situations. And it shouldn't just be like on a whim and trying to guess like, what should we do? Um, and I think it's really important to ensure the safety of black students, because if this had been a PWI campus, you know, there would be a different conversation. There would be um, different type of coverage. So I think that um, this, should be a learning experience for all HBCUs to um, just listen to the students like Sarah said and make sure that you have plans in place for these types of situations. How do you guys think that the bomb threats will impact HBCUs in the future? I don't I don't have like a direct answer for that but I can say what I hope and what I hope is that HBCUs will take these threats and use them as a way to train students on what they should do 
just in case this ever happens and something horrible really does go down, God forbid. Um, I think that students and professors and everybody on campus should know what to do and be privy to what precautions to take and what steps to take if they're ever in a situation where people are on campus and these threats are coming in and something actually does happen. They'll know how to stay safe and know how to protect everyone. I would even say too, like even in elementary school, middle school, and at my high school, we had active shooter drills, we had bomb drills, um, we had fire drills. And I get that, you know, in college, we are all adults, but at the same time, to be honest, I think that these drills are necessary um, because if there is an active shooter on campus, I 100% don't know what to do. I honestly feel like I was more confident in what to do if there was an active shooter at my high school versus an active shooter at my university because we honestly have not been trained to know what to do. Um, definitely, even at the elementary and middle school level, I knew what to do if there was an active shooter. If there's an active shooter while I'm in one of my classes um, this semester, I have no idea what to do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to add to it, I don't even feel like my professors are qualified to tell any of us what to do in those instances. I don't think that they know either. I haven't heard of professors having to do any types of trainings and, and maybe they do, but this is just not anything that I have ever heard of. And from hearing what my professors have to say about the bomb threats, it doesn't, they, they haven't really given any answers or made any statements that make me confident that in a situation like that, if I don't know what to do, my professor will know how to guide me. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I was in one of my classes on Tuesday and we were talking about it and he was just as confused on what to do in that type of situation as we were. And that's just not okay. Um, and even like a couple of years ago, when in my sophomore year, we still to this day do not know, but there were rumors of there being an active shooter on campus. And I had to run from the cafeteria to my dorm just to because I didn't know what was going on. And the only thing that the campus really did was lock the dorms. And that, that was it. So I feel like there should really be um, a bigger conversation about this and not just fire drills, because that's all that camp I know that um Hampton does for us Keon do you have anything to say about this I mean y'all all said the right things you know in high school we knew I knew exactly what to do uh but I I think Hampton doesn't do a good job with like preparing I think you know uh with everything really uh I feel like a lot of students are not prepared for anything whether it's weather whether it's a fire whether anything so I feel like we need to put more work in like preparing for anything expecting the unexpected and preparing for the worst you know so I feel like y'all all said the right points and the right things and I would even say for the campuses that haven't had anything happen to them you know of course god forbid you know I wouldn't wish that onto A&T or onto Hampton but it's clear that these things are relevant it's clear that these things are happening so instead of waiting for us to actually have a threat to all of a sudden put something in place. I think now is the time to start putting in some prevent some preventative measures so that if it does happen, it won't be, we should have done this, we could have done this, and I'm sorry. Instead, it would have been, hey, we have this plan in, in motion and we have put a lot of thought in it, so we're confident in our plan. But right now, the plan doesn't exist. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree on that.
So the Super Bowl is closely approaching us and I know that Sarah will be um, attending. So Sarah, how are you feeling? Are you excited for the halftime performance and just being there? Oh my gosh, yes, most definitely. Like, honestly, this is a dream come true for for a very, very, very long time. I have always wanted to have the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. So now that that is finally happening, it's it's just extremely exciting. And I'm so excited for um, the halftime performance. But I must say, I have a little bit more excitement to see Mary J. Blige just because I kind of grew up listening to her music. My grandma is a huge Mary J. Blige fan, so I'm so excited to have the opportunity to see her. Um, And I think, of course, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick, Dr. Dre, I know that they are going to do an amazing job. So I'm just, I'm so excited and so grateful to have the privilege to go to the Super Bowl. So I know, Keon, you're a big music person. What are you thinking about... um the halftime performance. Man, I, I'm ready for them to play that California love, man. You know, when Pac come in, you know, I'm be singing it with him. Like I'm on performing on stage myself. But, you know, I love Dr. Dre, everything he's done with uh, At The Mouth. You know, Kendrick Lamar is really one of my favorite uh, artists of all time. Shout out to Good Kid, Mad City, the best album ever. But yeah, I, I'm more excited for the halftime performance than uh, the game itself, really. Okay. Emphasis on the California love. In the city. Yes. But yes. So um, real quickly, do we have any Super Bowl predictions? Rams. Rams all the way. Rams, Rams all the way. I'm going to say Rams 20, 26 to 17. I don't, know I don't have a number for you, but Rams all the way. Yeah, I would say... Yeah, I would say Rams 24, um, 17. I really hope this podcast episode ages well and, you know, these predictions don't come back to get us. Um, but yeah, definitely Rams. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of feeling the Bengals. They're the underdogs. So, I'm, I mean, I want Odell Beckham Jr. to get his ring, but I'm kind of feeling the Bengals. But thank you guys for tuning in. Black history is always in the making. For now, we thank you for tuning into the Roden Fellows podcast once again and celebrating Black history with us. Special thanks to our producers, Keon Cage and Parker Owens. Make sure to join us next time as we celebrate, to co- as we continue to celebrate our history. And don't forget to make the Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great weekend, everyone.